have you read my Amazon number one best-selling book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them Yet? It's the book that I wrote with expertise from over 20 nonprofit leaders and their 300 years of combined experience. You can download it for free today. Just visit andrewolson.net and go to the free resources tab on my site. Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, your home for all things fundraising and nonprofit leadership. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. Before we get into today's episode, I've got a favor to ask. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please go over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate the show and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people and make a bigger impact in the world. So thank you in advance for doing that. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey, everybody, this is Andrew Olson. Welcome back to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. This is our first episode of 2024, and I'm really excited because I'm here with Jeremy Stern, who's the Director of Partnerships over at Cause Match and a good friend of mine. Jeremy, how you doing? I'm doing awesome. It's great to be here. Thanks so much, Andrew. Hey, man, it's it's great to have you here. Um, Happy New Year. Um, excited for you to be the, uh, the, the first interview of the year. And what we're going to talk about today is, I, I think, a trend that is going to be taking over philanthropy in the next five to 10 years and that I don't think a lot of organizations are paying attention to yet. But you guys are right at the center of that, right? So um, we're yeah. going to talk about sort of that peer-to-peer fundraising arena and what it means to do that well. Um, be, before we get into that, though, take a few minutes to to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your background and also like a little bit more about what Cosmatch is. Cool. Awesome. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Um, so yes, a little bit about, about me. Um, I'm a nonprofit uh, fundraising professional, have been my whole, my whole career. Uh, for 15 years, I worked in nonprofits. I was the executive director of a small shop for, uh, for about eight years, eight and a half years. Um, after that, worked uh, in some mid-sized organizations as a director of development. And, uh, and after doing that for a decade and a half, I shifted over to working with organizations, uh, and so for almost three years now, I've been I've been at Cosmatch. Um, just to tell you, kind of like very very briefly about about Cosmatch. Cosmatch is a digital fundraising platform. We specialize in peer to peer campaigns, giving days, crowdfunding campaigns, and we'll do things like um, dinners, raffles, other online digital fundraisers, things like that. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So let's let's jump into this. You know, I before we hit record on this session, you and I were talking a little bit about sort of where the industry's headed or where we think it's headed. One of the things that I shared with you, um, which I'll I'll link to some of the content in the show notes, is we are we are seeing in our research at Dickerson Baker um, this this shift in perspective amongst uh, the, the donor audiences of of people saying two things. One saying we feel like we're getting more solicitations than we ever have before, but at the same time saying the thing we want most of anything in our relationship with organizations is fewer solicitations, right? Right. So, and this is particularly true sort of in the, um, the, the older demographics, right? So the people who have more disposable income, who've probably been giving for a lot longer, they're feeling the pressure more than anybody else. And, and you know, this made me think, um, be- between that and the shift in what we see with younger demographics, particularly with you know uh, Gen Z millennials who who largely don't trust organizations anymore, mm-hmm. right? they and, and they they get their um, 
their recommendations for purchasing, for donating, for for advocacy from their peer networks. Yeah, right? social proof. Social yeah, proof. Yeah, so so when I sit back and I look at those two pieces of information, the first thing that comes to mind is if organizations aren't prepared to capitalize sort of on this peer network and peer influenced behavior, we're going to probably have a big challenge in in the, you know, in the near future. Talk to us a little bit about kind of how you all see that playing out and what you see in your own data and the campaigns that you run for clients. Like, like where, where should we be thinking uh, relative to this social proof, as you call it, and sort of the peer-driven decision-making? Yeah, sure. So the way we think about it is uh, the, the data that, that, that we have. And you know what? I, I just know this from my own experience running a, a nonprofit myself. Um, is that when an organization does a broad solicitation, a Giving Tuesday campaign, a seasonal um, uh, campaign, a mailer or a mass email, end of year campaign, that kind of thing. Um, so they send out a, a mass email, right? They send out a, a bunch of letters, whatever it is. The percentage of people on uh, recipients who actually donate, do you, do you, do you want to guess what it is on average? Uh, I mean, I'm going to guess it's something around 4%, right? 4% on a really, really, really good day, right? Um, I mean, for, from, I saw from my own experience, if you have, let's say, 5,000 people on your, your email list, the average, maybe, I mean, Andrew, you do great work. Some of the organizations you work with, maybe they get 4%. But average is less than 1%. Right. So yeah. on a really good day, you have 5,000 people on your email list on your Giving Tuesday campaign. If you get 50 donations, you did really well. Right. Wow. Really well. And it's crazy. Right. That's like 99 percent of prospective donors of previous donors. Right. Those are the people on, on your email list are not converting. Whereas when an individual reaches out to their family, friends, colleagues, associates, it's a personal uh, request. Not talking about necessarily the fundraisers of the organization, the development professionals. These are volunteers. These are people who are around the community of the organization. They reach out to their family, friends, and colleagues and say, hey, I'm raising $1,000 for this organization, which means so much to me. Will you please help me reach my personal fundraising goal? And I'm not talking about a Facebook post. I'm talking about a direct reaching out to those cousins, reaching out to their brothers and sisters, right? Reaching out to their colleagues and saying, whatever it is, we give 10 bucks, 100 bucks, doesn't make a difference. So the percentage of people who give there on average is 25%. So oh. when an organization reaches out on a good day, it's 1%. Let, let's even say it's 1%, but it's actually less than that. But let's even say it's 1%. When it, so one out of 100 are actually donating. When an individual reaches out personally to their family and friends, it's one in four. Right. It's mm. one in four. And so that's that's how we think about peer to peer fundraising and why we're so focused on what we call ambassadors for these campaigns. We actually don't like the idea of uh, of team fundraising, because let's think about, um, let's say, uh, a private school. Right. We work with a lot of private schools in these in these campaigns. But just as an example, and we work with a wide range of organizations, but let's say a private school. And so you have teams of the class of 2010 and the class of 2011, and each class has a goal of raising $5,000 or $10,000. Now, the problem with the team model is that, Andrew, if you and I were in the same class, right? I'm like, Andrew's a fundraiser. He's going to reach out and get a bunch of people to donate. I can sit back. Okay, I'll send out a link and I'm done. Right? There's no real sense of accountability, of ownership, of buy-in. Whereas if you're an ambassador 
for the cause. I have a personal fundraising goal. It's not just my team has a goal of raising 10,000, but I have a personal goal of raising 500 or 1,000 or 5,000, whatever it is. And I'm reaching out to my family and friends. I've, I have a sense of ownership and accountability towards that fundraising goal, and it's so much more effective. And so what we do at CauseMatch is really fused together two things. On the one hand, there's a technology and there's a lot to say about the technology that we've developed. But the other piece, and this is so important, is the strategy of the fundraising strategy of how to build, how to build these campaigns. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's it's really interesting to me to, to hear those numbers. I mean, it's it's orders of magnitude different, right? Yeah. And you're right, because yeah. like in, in my business, we celebrate it. In, let's say new donors, right? In new donor acquisition, if you get one percent, like you're you're popping champagne bottles. That's a really mm -hmm. successful campaign, um, and nobody ever talks about the ninety nine percent that that didn't even engage, right? Yeah. So to to be able to do, you know, even if you could double that, most organizations would throw a party, right? But if yeah. you're talking, you know, do ten to twenty times, that's that's massive potential. Exactly. Exactly. What, so I think one of the things that a lot of organizations, you know, when we think about it, at least here in the U.S., you know, there's something like a million seven uh, nonprofits, right? And most of those are under a million dollars in annual yeah. revenue. So a lot yeah. of those organizations are run by, you know, one person or, or one or two people, maybe a volunteer committee. And I think the first thing they're going to think is, how in the world do we do something like that? You know, we don't have the staff to manage it. We maybe only have 217 donors or, or supporters, maybe not, of, not, not even all of them donate. Like, how can we do something when what you're talking about sounds like something that's just for the, the big organizations? Like, respond to that. Yeah. That's a, it's a great it's a great question. So when when we talk about peer to peer campaigns, often when I speak with uh, prospective clients and I say, when you think peer to peer, what do you think? Right? What do you think about? And typically, people have two things in mind: either a uh, run, walk, ride, right, a five k, um, <laughs> where they get their t shirt and their bib and all of that, um, and they are assigned the goal of raising five hundred bucks. Uh, and they send out the link and maybe they bring in 50 bucks and they pay for their, their admission for the, uh, for the, the run, walk, or ride, the 5K. That's one type of peer-to-peer -peer fundraiser. That's not what we focus on. Another type of peer-to-peer -peer fundraiser, right? The <laughs> Facebook fundraiser of it's my birthday. Instead of giving me a gift, please contribute to the local animal shelter. Here's a link. I have a goal of raising a thousand bucks, right? That also isn't very, isn't very effective. Uh, again, okay. a few hundred bucks are, are raised, but that's not how an organization is going to scale their fundraising success through strategic peer-to-peer. -peer. When we talk about peer-to-peer -peer fundraising, we're talking about peer-to-peer -peer giving days. So it's a giving day where the whole community around the organization is coming together, where let's say they have a goal of raising $100,000. We're very focused on, I talked about ambassadors before, this ambassador-driven fundraising. So an organization wants to raise $100,000. Yeah, some of their regular supporters are going are gonna to give to the campaign, but really what's going to enable them to grow, to thrive, to scale up in terms of their fundraising is we work with them in developing a core group of ambassadors around the community of the organization. So if they have 10 or 20 or 50 or 100 ambassadors, each with their personal fundraising goal. And, and then the question is, how do, you, how do you get those people involved? So Andrew, you asked about a smaller, smaller organization. Some of our best campaigns 
are entirely volunteer run, right? You don't need a, a heavy uh, paid staff in order to make these campaigns work really effectively. What you need is a community around the organization. So when we think about prospective ambassadors for the organization, we're thinking about, sure, the professional leadership, the lay leadership, the board, right? On um, you know co committees and things like that. We're thinking about volunteers, beneficiaries, alumni, uh, if it's current students, um, donors as well, people who feel passionate about the cause and want to see it succeed. And the real difference in building these campaigns is that if you just turn to one of your donors or board members and say, hey, will you raise a thousand bucks for our organization? They'll be like, why are you asking me? I don't like fundraising. It's not fun, this and that, right? And our whole strategy is creating excitement and really FOMO around the campaign, where you start to have this, this community of ambassadors who are all in this together. It's not just me raising my $1,000, but it's my $1,000 in the context of a whole community of people around this organization, other volunteers, other board members, and all together, that's how we're going to reach that $100,000 goal for our, for our organization. The example I, I like to use is... Um, I have uh, I, one of my neighbors. We have we we use WhatsApp. Uh, you know, it's just you know sending me messages and things like that. And so we have a WhatsApp group for our for our neighborhood. And one of my neighbors, um, he uh, he put in a message a few months ago saying, "Hey, does anyone have a ladder I can borrow?" Right? I I literally, Andrew, I have three ladders in my in my backyard. Okay. Um, and so, so I could have messaged him and saying, Hey, no problem. Just go, go in my backyard and, and pick up, pick up a ladder. Um, but I was busy and I don't want to, you know, I was in the middle of something and might've been dinner time with the kids and this and that. But a half an hour later, I got no responses to that bit, you know, mass message, right? He reached out to me directly and said, Jeremy, could I borrow a ladder? And I said, of course. Just go in my backyard, pick up a ladder, no, no problem. And that's the difference between um, just putting it out there and saying, who's going to help us fundraise versus it's, as you talked about, people giving to people, but it's also people work with people and fundraise together with people. They fundraise together as a community. And so it, it, the strategy is about building that, that community of, of ambassadors and how to reach out to them, how to get people excited and involved and a sense of FOMO if they're going to miss out on not being a part of this campaign. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So I know, you know, you, you mentioned earlier in, in, in our chat, Giving Tuesday, right? We, yeah. um, we often find when we run Giving Tuesday campaigns for organizations, you know, there's, there's sort of two camps that we, that we see. We okay. see the general, like, it's Giving Tuesday, so please give kind of approach. And then we see the other. Which is super which, successful, right? Right, right. <laughs> we see the other, which is, on this Giving Tuesday, you know, we're raising money for a rescue van to go out and, you know, rescue uh, hungry and cold homeless people off the streets of Toronto, right? Yes. And, and that's going to cost $40,000. So please give as much as you can today because we really want to be able to go out and, and rescue these people starting tomorrow kind of thing, right? Where there's yeah. a very specific, a very tangible and urgent call to action. And, and we find that those tend to raise a ton more money than the general, like, it's Giving Tuesday, it's a good day, please give. Um, mm -hmm. I'm assuming that you see the same thing in, in these kind of peer-to-peer -peer campaigns, but am I wrong? Like, are, are yeah. these just, you know, effective no matter what? Or do you really need a, a, a focused reason to give? 
Yeah, so the the story around the campaign, the messaging around the campaign is very important. And that's also something that we work with our clients on in uh, in telling that story and giving that, that sense of meaning and purpose uh, to giving. So Giving Tuesday is valuable for the reason that you mentioned, which is the sense of urgency. Today's the day. We're raising $40,000 today. And it's it's valuable in fundraising in the same for the same reason that stores have sales right on sure. a certain day. They want you to come in that day. It creates that sense of urgency. It's how we work as human beings, right? We we work off of deadlines, right? Like that's 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 why it works. Um, that's why it works so effectively. But you're absolutely right. The fact that it's Giving Tuesday is not a reason for me to give any more than the fact that your organization's budget is, you know, the budgetary year is closing on December 31st. (laughs) That's not a reason for me to give. The fact that you're doing life-saving work or changing our community or or inspiring the next generation or changing lives, that's the reason for me to give. And what you just described, that we need to purchase you know, this vehicle or what have you in order to do more work. And me as a donor, I can be involved and have a, have a hand in making that difference in our community. That's a reason to give, right? And so telling that message in the campaign is, is so important. And the urgency piece is a factor in it. Right? It creates that sense of, I got to give today. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, okay, next question. I I know that you know when it comes to any other type of fundraising, one of the questions we always get is, how much is too much? Right? How many mailings are too many? How many emails are too many? How many whatevers are too many? A- answer that for me here. Like, can an organization exist exclusively on you know, sort of uh, iterative peer-to-peer campaigns throughout a year uh, is 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 the best mix one a year. What are you seeing in the data? What are you seeing with your clients? How much is too much? Is there a tipping point? Like, yeah, what do you think? Great question. So we do have some clients who this is their main fundraiser when they do an okay. annual campaign with us. Um, often it's more like a third of their annual revenue they're bringing in through this through this campaign, and then they have others other revenue streams as well. Um, most of our clients do one big campaign with us over the course of the year. The most strategic clients do more than one campaign over the course of the year. Uh, and often it'll be, let's say, six months apart, right? So they'll do, let's say, a spring campaign, which might be their general, instead of doing a, a, a gala or a dinner, right? Uh, and we've we've talked about that a bit on on LinkedIn, right? About galas and dinners. Um, yeah, no but, more uh, dry chicken dinners. All right. Oh yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so so instead of doing that dinner, and we have lots of ideas about how to replace it and how to do it most effectively. Instead of doing the dinner where people are eating rubber chicken and sitting there for boring speeches, instead do it do an exciting giving day uh, where people really feel a sense of involvement and and being a part of something bigger than themselves. So let's say they'll do that that big campaign in the spring. And then six months later, they'll do an end of year campaign in November or December, perhaps for a specific project, right? Uh, which, you know, within within the organization. So we often find organizations doing that way. But it may, it, it you know, still they should pursue grant front, fund, funding and major gifts and and, sure. and everything else. Yeah. So uh, I, I know, you know, with sort of, what I'll call traditional events, right? The galas, the you know run walk events, what whatever you might call them. Uh, one of the bigger challenges that I've seen, uh, both personally when I was uh, a fundraiser at a children's hospital, and then in my career as a consultant, 
is it's really difficult to convert those people that attend the event or, you know, sponsor a runner or a walker or something like that. Like to get those people to, to engage in ongoing giving organizations spend a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort. And, and it's one of the biggest frustrations I hear is like, we just can't get those people to give again. And what I've found in my own work is like, if somebody attends an event and gives it an event, they're pretty much an event donor, right? Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of crossover to other channels. Do you, do you see anything different in these kind of peer driven campaigns? Um, and, and how would you talk about, or, or how would you recommend organizations even think about that? Not the, not the, um, ambassadors that you call them, but sort of the people yeah. that give to the ambassador campaigns. Mm-hmm. W- w- what's the strategy there? Yeah. Great question. And you're, you're absolutely right. Left alone. These people will, tr- these donors will churn, right? They're not going to necessarily give, um, give again or give next year. Um, so two things. Number one is we, we guide our clients to think not just about their, well, let's start with this. Number one is donor cultivation. So what are you doing with those donors over the course of the year, right? You send them an automatic thank you email and they don't hear from you until the next fundraiser. That definitely should not be uh, the case. We actually, we've developed uh, a whole program working with our clients between campaigns. We call it Level Up. Um, where they are, um, they're thanking, reporting, and then eventually asking again at their next at their next campaign. But that thanking and reporting piece is so so important, showing the impact that their gift has had and continues to have over the course of the year. Uh, look, many of the donors came in through that ambassador, and they weren't necessarily giving because of the organization. Yes, the organization aligns with their values, but it wasn't a top charity for them. Um, But now that you have them uh, as a donor for your organization, how are you cultivating them? What's your messaging? How are you uh, connecting with them? Um, I mean, even doing things like uh, wealth engine research, right? Finding those diamonds in the rough. Uh, That that donor who gave you a, a $150 gift Right, just as you know, through an ambassador, but really they have the capacity, the potential, the potential interest to give a lot more because your cause really fits within the rubric of organizations they give to. Finding out who those are, so there's a lot of work that organizations can do can do around that. So number one is the donor cultivation, right, yeah, and the messaging uh, through mm-hmm. over the course of the year. Number two, that what we really focus on as well with our with our clients is uh, is ambassador cultivation. So okay. an ambassador brought in ten gifts. That, that's what we see as a metric. That's kind of like the gold standard of a successful ambassador. Ambassador who brought in ten gifts. We talked about a one in four uh, conversion rate for for ambassadors. So we say make a list of forty people you're going to reach out to. That way you'll bring in ten. Uh, and once they bring in ten and they hit their goal, they're excited. They're pumped and they want to reach raise more. Yeah, but. But in terms of ambassador cultivation, don't just think of these people as uh, as as an ATM that they brought in money, you know, for you for your campaign. But how are you cultivating those ambassadors? How are you thanking those ambassadors? So in talking about events, we've had a lot of cli- a lot of clients, a lot of organizations who've shifted over from having a a, a big you know uh, gala or dinner to having a post campaign celebration. Do it as a barbecue. 
right? In someone's backyard, not in a stuffy ballroom, barbecue <laughs> in someone's backyard to thank your ambassadors or thank your donors, right? Uh, and so hopefully by doing that effectively, those ambassadors are going to come back next year. And yeah. they're going to have their their list of donors who gave to them in year one. And those are going to be the top people they're going to reach out to initially for year two. So that personal connection, people giving to people, your ambassadors are going to be the ones who are going to be soliciting that gift once again. Yeah, that, that tracks, makes a ton of sense. Um, do you have do you have data around, um, you know, like what's the cost to acquire a donor in this environment? Because I know that's another consideration. A lot of organizations, when they look at adding a new channel or a new strategy, one of the first questions is, well, what's it going to cost me to bring a supporter in yeah. in that environment compared to my mail program or email or paid search or whatever? Do you, do you have any metrics around that? Yeah, uh, I'm going to answer a little bit of a different question, but I think okay. it, it, yeah. it focuses around the same thing because I don't, I don't have an answer for per donor. Uh, but okay. when we think about costs of a, of a strategic peer-to-peer campaign, um, what we're looking for, uh, there are two ways to say it, they're the same thing. Either it's your cost is about 10% of what you raise. And I'm not just okay. talking about the cost of Cosmatch, but between Cosmatch and credit card processing. And if you do some marketing and social media, uh, paid ads and things like that, it typically comes to about 10% of, okay. of what you raise. Uh, said differently, we're looking for a 10x ROI, a, a 10 times return on investment on the I campaign. I mean, gosh, that's, that's a lot closer to major gift level return on investment than than anything else, right? And that's you know, what we see day in, day out with these campaigns. And you think about a dinner where if your costs are only 30, 40% of, of, uh, of, of what you brought in, you did well, right? Right, uh, right. If you're lucky. We're, we're talking about 10%, right? A 10x yeah. ROI. So that's really what we're looking for in these, in these campaigns. You know, uh, over at our firm at Dickerson Baker, we talk a lot about this concept of like, you know, finding a better way to fundraise. And and at, the more I hear you talk about this and the, the more I think about sort of the strategic value of peer-to-peer, it just makes so much sense that that I, I, I think this is one of those better ways where where we can actually treat people like human beings, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and engage them relationally, which leads to that investment versus just, you know, churn and burn kind of marketing tactics and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think this exactly is really right. smart. Yeah, um, it's really leveraging those personal relationships. People yeah. give to people, right? Yeah, well, people give to people. That's what it comes down to. Great point. You know, we we actually, I don't know if we told you this or not, we, we actually trademarked a phrase um, that uh, relationship changes everything, right? And and I, I think I like it's, it. it's, it's on point here and you're right. This is so, so different than traditional kind of mass fundraising, you know, I, yeah. do, do you have um, any stats you can share relative to like what the typical average gift in a campaign like this is? I mean, I, I would guess it's north of $50 and, yeah. and maybe even north of a hundred, but what, what do you see? Yeah, it's really going to depend on the, the, um, the community of the organization, right? Okay, uh, fair. You know, the socioeconomic level of, of the, uh, of, of the organization, it's ambassadors, things like that. Um, an average gift, uh, and I'm sorry, a typical gift, uh, the the, sure. the, yeah. uh, the the mode, right? The uh, typical yep. gift in a um, in one of our campaigns is $100. Uh, okay. That's a that, that, that's a typical that's <clears throat> most typical gift. Um, average gift, okay, because you have some outliers of, of sure. larger gift, is closer to 200. 
okay. so yeah, that that that's what we see. Uh, a typical ambassador on our campaigns is raising fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, okay. yeah, depending on the community, sometimes more than that. It could be two thousand, three thousand, even four thousand dollars that an average ambassador is raising uh, for an organization, but. You know, typically speaking, about $1,500 per, per ambassador. So when we build these campaigns and we say, great, you have a goal of raising $100,000. We should use that as a simple, as a simple uh, metric. So um, the, the, the division that we, we usually see in these campaigns is 80% of the funds are raised by the ambassadors and 20% are from the, uh, the organization's donors. So that's tremendous okay. growth. Right? The organization's reaching its, its core donor base. That's the 20%, and the growth yep. is that additional 80%. So if you now have $80,000, right? So $20,000 in your $100,000 campaign is going to come from the organization's kind of core donor base. Then the 80% that you want to raise, and let's even say an average donor, I'm sorry, an average ambassador raises 1000 bucks. So we say, okay, how are we going to build a community of ambassadors, of 80 ambassadors around your, your organization? And that's how we're going to reach, reach that goal. Of $100,000 for your campaign. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, let's talk a little bit about sort of workload on an organization. Mm-hmm. You know, um, obviously they don't have to build the platform because guys no. like you have the platform, right? Yeah. But um, finding the ambassadors, engaging the ambassadors, I'm assuming there's some level of like content creation that has to happen for yeah. messaging and visuals and things like that. What, um, what should an organization be prepared to invest from sort of a time perspective, not, not necessarily the, like the dollars, right? But yeah. what, what's the staff workload on, a, on something like this? And how long, like, is that a, a 30-day sprint? Is it a 60-day thing? Like, what, what's that look like? Yeah, uh, it's 30 to 60. You, you nailed it, right? Oh, okay. It's like four, to, four to eight weeks that we're working with the client uh, before the hard launch of their campaign, before that giving day, that 24-hour, okay. 48-hour uh, giving, 48-hour giving day. It's a long day. Um, but uh, <laughs> but that's typically we're working with clients four to, four to eight weeks. Um, okay. And we offer two different service levels. We offer what we call a tech-only option, which is, as it sounds, they get the technology, they get a customer success manager who's going to help set, set up their campaign page so they don't need to learn our technology. They don't need to like, learn how to you know, set it up. They have a, a customer success manager who's doing that with them. Um, we have mm-hmm. amazing uh, 24-hour tech support, like rapid response tech support. Their, their commitment is to respond within a minute. To any wow. to any issue issue that comes up, twenty four hours a day, they're incredible, yeah. like the crown jewel of uh, of Cosmatch. Um, so that's our tech only option. And you're right, an organization is then going to need to figure out how to cultivate their ambassadors, produce their content, graphics, things like that. So that's going to be on the, on the organization, and depending on how much they invest, you know how how much time they invest, will 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 depend on on their success. But our other option is what we call a full service option, where in addition to the customer success manager and the, and the tech support, they also get a strategic fundraising coach and they get a copywriter from our team who's working with them. So the strategic fundraising coach is working with them on their peer-to-peer strategy, on their ambassador cultivation, identify, helping them to identify who should, who should their ambassadors be? Who are their team leaders, right? They're, they're kind of diehard ambassadors. And how are they those team leaders going to reach out and bring in more ambassadors? Um, how to bring on ambassadors? We do what we call rally events or ambassador uh, recruitment events, which can be like a virtual, you know, a half an hour Zoom or an hour long Zoom. Um, 
So the, the coach is really working with them on that, on that strategy. And then the copywriter, the copywriter that it does an intake process, uh, produces all of the written content for them. And there are some iterations back and forth, but to be honest, I don't want my clients focusing on wordsmithing emails, right? I want them yeah. to get one, two, five, ten more ambassadors for their campaign. Because if each ambassador is going to raise another fifteen hundred bucks each, right? That's fifteen grand more to, for for their campaign. Our copywriters know best practices. They 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 took your your uh, your content and and produced all of your emails, all of your social media posts, the slogan of the campaign, all of that, so that you can focus on what's actually important, which is your 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 fundraising. So um, in the end of the day, the organization itself needs to do the fundraising work, right? Reach a call, calling the ambassadors because look, if I call an ambassador, they're like, who the, who's Jeremy Stern? I don't know who you are, right? right? But, but if they're, they're calling, you know, someone who who uh, who they work with on, on Wednesday evenings in the soup kitchen, right? And they're both volunteers and, hey, Susie, I also see you at the soup kitchen. Will you serve as an ambassador, right? That's a different type of uh, different type of, of ask. So the way that I describe what our coaching is, it's like a trainer in the gym. The trainer is going to make sure that you show up on time every morning at 6 a.m., right? And is going to create a strategy for you and a game plan and metrics for where you should be when and, and working with you to, to identify, you know, what, what machines you should use and how many reps and, and giving you that, that moral support and keeping you on track, uh, and which is so important and creating that accountability piece. But what is a trainer not doing? The trainer isn't doing literally the heavy lifting, right? right. <laughs> You're doing the implementation, but they're there to, to guide you and support you in uh, doing it right. Very cool. All right. Well, I think we're we're just about out of time. This has been a fantastic conversation. I, I have kind of two things to wrap up with. Um, yeah. First is give me one prediction that you think is on the horizon for fundraising for 2024. Oh man, you should have given me a heads up about this one. God, everyone listening to this, this is real. He, Andrew's putting me on the spot. My prediction for uh for 2024 um in uh in fundraising, something that's going to that's going to change, that's going to be that's going to be different. Um I mean, I'm so biased, but we see it, right? Like the organizations who are moving towards this peer-to-peer -to -peer space and and also thinking um about about hybrid events, right, and how to incorporate digital into okay. into their events. Um, whether whether it's uh, it's things like like galas and doing it in a more digital digital way. Um, so so I think it's that it's incorporating more and more digital uh, into into fundraising. Okay, great. And um, if somebody wants to learn more about Cosmatch, about peer to peer campaigns, or just connect with you, what what are the best ways for people to reach you? Well, as you know, Andrew, I spend way too much time on LinkedIn. So please find me. me. <laughs> please, please find me on LinkedIn. I'm there all the time, all the time, all the time. Uh, so just search for me, Jeremy Stern, um, in uh, in LinkedIn, or you can email me, Jeremy at Cosmatch.com. Jeremy at Cosmatch.com. Awesome, that's great. And uh, folks, listeners, if you if you want to reach me, uh, like Jeremy, get me on LinkedIn. I I think he and I. Um, live there and and we just occasionally show up at our houses. Um, check us out at dickersonbaker.com. If you want to find a better way to fundraise, 
Uh, we've got some answers there. That we've got some great research for you to download. If you want some quick tips on on fundraising, uh, check out some of my content over at tipsforpeople.com. It's it's bite-sized, one to three minute tips. Um, and as always, uh, jump on over to andrewolson.net and grab a free copy of my book. Jeremy, it's been great to have you here. Thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Andrew. This was a blast. Thank you so much. Thanks again for joining us today for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. Please don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review so we can get our message out to more nonprofit leaders. And as always, feel free to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn or at andrew at andrewolson.net. Be well, friends. It can be costly and time-consuming for nonprofits to fill vacancies. My colleagues at Dickerson Baker's executive search team can help. Serving nonprofits is not just part of what we do, it's all we do. The Dickerson Baker executive search team has the knowledge, expertise, relationships, and access to networks that are vital for recruiting exceptional talent. And not just that, we actually guarantee our placements for a full two years, which is much longer than anyone else in the nonprofit recruitment industry. Are you ready to find exceptional talent? Schedule a no-cost, no-obligation consultation at DickersonBaker.com.